Everybody thankful for the name of Jesus this morning? Lord, we invite you to keep moving in us, Holy Spirit. Lord, we do ask just like we do multiple times every week, would you come and do what only you can do? Would you leave us different than the way we showed up? And God, I ask that you would uh, just even do something this morning in each one of us that are here. I pray that this would be one of those days that kind of gets marked on the calendar that we remember because you did something that we can't forget. Lord, I do pray that this would be one of those days. Whatever it is, March 5th, I think, 2017. Lord, I ask, I ask for that right now, Holy Spirit, that it would be one of those days for everybody here this morning. I pray that you'd make us hungry for you where we're not hungry this morning. I pray that where we are hungry, you'd make us more hungry. Because your promise this morning is that when we hunger and we thirst for you, we will be filled. We step into the promises of God this morning. We thank you for that. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. Pray that you would speak to us, Lord. Would you give us a sense of revival this morning in everything we do and everywhere we go. Lord, I thank you for each life in this room. Would you fill us? Would you touch us in Jesus' name? Everybody said amen. 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 Go ahead and take a seat. Thank you, team. Way to go. All right. Raise your hand if you're doing all right this morning. Most people doing all right. Good job. That's good. Has anybody kind of been like pushing against the funk this week? Kind of the like that, like, eh, you know. You know what I'm talking about? That funk thing that you get in. I don't know if you've been pushing against it this week, but I sure have been. Um, but we made it. We're here, right? Every one of us. Way to go. Go ahead and grow, pull out your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give one to you. If you will simply raise your hand, we'll put one in it. Um, if you have one, that's perfect. Open up to Luke chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. You know how like, we like to talk back and forth every week? You know how we do that? I'm going to need a little more on your end this week. I've been fighting against a throat thingy too. So boo that. Thank you for the three of you who are with me booing that thing. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I want to give a shout out this morning as we start to Jack and Linda Bonewald. Y'all are amazing. After last week, they went to Tinker Street, and uh, they weren't even serving pork belly. So, sorry, guys. Our faithful friends, Jack and Linda. Uh, we'll give it another shot. They took four of their friends with them, too. Said, hey, our pastor said about this great spot and this pork belly. Shame on me. I should have checked. Uh, so, moral of the story, don't do anything I say. Luke chapter 5. Is anybody headed that way yet? I'm going to go over here and grab my water so I have it with me. Do you guys like who you're sitting next to this morning? Good. Good. Chad, you're ahead of me. <laughs> Chad and I have a running joke about how many times am I going to make him mess up in a given week. And I try my hardest to make him mess up. So if you remember last week, I started laughing in the middle of the service because he nailed it. I thought I had him, but he followed me. It was awesome. All right, anybody ready to get to a sermon or anything yet? All right. <laughs> this is our last week uh, that we're doing in a series called A Sense of Revival. It's been, uh, this is week six of six. If, has anybody liked this so far? I, I've been, I've been uh, appreciating what God's been speaking to me through this series, A Sense of Revival. We've been working with a definition of revival. It's the life of God in a broken world. We need that. 
I need that. We are Christians, and so therefore we believe that Jesus is alive and that he's with us, and therefore we ought to live with a sense of revival. But to not just live trying to make it through our lives, right? I live with a sense that God's about to do something, sense of revival. We've been working our way through the five human senses uh, to help us better understand what it means to live with a sense of revival. We've done sight and smell and all these other ones. There's only one left, that's touch. So I bet you can guess where we're going this morning. If you've got your notes out, you can write at the top of your page, a touch of revival, a touch of revival this morning. We're in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read uh, our verses right as we get going this morning. We have a grand total of two verses that we're going to read this morning. Last week I gave you a lot, so this week we thought we'd go with two. Can you do two? Luke chapter 5. Here we go. Verse 12 is where we're going to start. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there was a man, or I just made up those words. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and what? Touched him. Saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. It's a power pack, two verses. Jesus comes to a city. There's a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Luke 5, 12, and 13. As we get started this morning with our message, the touch of revival, I want to throw something out there and, and talk about how, how a little, little concept in my head here, how if affects it. How if affects it. So just bear with me because that makes no sense. I know. But for example, if affects it, like if I touch the stove, I will get burned by it, right? If I touch it, it will burn me. I was three years old. I put my arm on a grill. It was hot and it burned me. If I put my arm on the grill, it will burn me. It doesn't care that I'm three years old and don't know better, right? I remember being really nervous uh, before I was calling Heather to ask her out on our first date. Uh, because I wasn't sure if she liked me. And I knew that if she liked me, then it would be great. But I knew that if she didn't like me, it would be less great. <laughs> if affected it. So by the time I had gotten around to being able to call her and ask her on our, our first date, there's a little bit of a story to this. But at that point, I already knew I wanted to marry her. And some people are like, oh, that's sweet. And I'm like, no, I'm just not as dumb as I look. I'm pretty smart. I started to see her, and I was like, that's what my wife's supposed to be like. Put a ring on it. Let's get this show on the road. So I knew I wanted to marry her already. I had known for a couple of months that I wanted to marry her before, before we actually started dating. Um, but at that time, there was this kind of old boyfriend who kind of started showing up again. Speaking of boot at, right? <laughs> there, you're my people. I love you guys. This old boyfriend kind of started showing up, and they're talking. You know, they're trying to figure out if they're going to get back together or not. You know, we can judge Heather all we want, but, hey, we've all been there, okay? So for me, I, I was watching this whole situation play out from a distance, waiting for my turn. And uh, for me, you know, they, they start talking, and it's taking forever. You know, I'm like, just pick one way or the other. I didn't even really care at that point. I'm like, okay, just get back together so you can break up again and then I'll marry her. 
or just be done with it so I can go do my thing, right? So I, I didn't really care which way they wanted to go. I just wanted them to pick a way so we could at least start heading somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Other wrinkle in the story is that this guy was actually a pretty good friend of mine. And uh, <laughs> are you booing me or him? I don't know. He's actually a friend of mine. He didn't know that I was going to marry her. And uh, they, they were supposed to have this big conversation, you know, the conversation, like we've kind of been in between, but let's talk about it and decide what we're going to do. So there's this big conversation lined up. He goes over to her house to talk, and they're supposed to have this great conversation, um, but, but they meet up, they have the conversation, and, and he actually comes over to my house afterwards to talk about it, talk about how the conversation went. And I'm hoping that I'm like, Really, I didn't care at that point. Like, just start dating, and then it's, we're, we're headed somewhere. But he comes back and starts again. Dude, you know, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where we're going to go, blah, blah, blah. And here I am sitting in my bedroom giving this guy advice on his relationship with the girl that I'm going to marry. <laughs> Very interesting situation. So we, we talk about this whole thing, and I'm sitting there like, okay, God, help me out. I need to be a good friend here, but I don't know what to do. So I'm giving him advice as best I can. So the next day we're at church, um, me and this guy, and I pull him aside afterwards and just kind of had to tell him, like, hey, man, there's something you need to know. You know, I, I meant everything I said last night about this whole situation. I stand by the advice that I gave you as a friend. I, I think it was good advice, whatever it was that, that I had told him. I, I stood by that, but I just think you should know that I actually like Heather, too. So um, if you don't want to talk about it anymore, I understand. <laughs> and uh, he kind of looks at me wide-eyed and confused, trying to think about, I don't know what he was thinking about, I guess. But he just kind of looks at me and sort of stumbles like, yeah, you know, like, if you like her, I don't want to talk about it, <laughs> right, <laughs> anymore. And I, I understood, I understood. It, if affected it. If I liked her, he didn't want to talk about it, Right. A lot of ifs in this situation. I wanted to take her out, but I couldn't do it until they settled if they were going to get back together or not. And we all have situations in our life where we've got you know, an if affecting it. And sometimes we get stuck on or we can get distracted by the it in our life and we don't address the if that's the bigger issue. We kind of have this it situation, but we've got a bigger if question. And here's, again, just, just follow me. I know it's not making sense yet, so don't look at I understand it doesn't make sense. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, for example, back to the stove, like um, if I touch it, it will burn me. We can address it all day long. We can get really good at treating three-year-olds who put their arms on grills, right? The, we, can, we can treat it. Or we can address the if and just say, like, if you never touch the grill, then we don't even have to worry about it, right? I could plan dates all day long that Heather and I were going to go on, but it wasn't going to happen if she couldn't go or didn't want to go or if she had this other boyfriend that happened to be a friend of mine too. It wasn't going to happen if she wasn't going to go if she couldn't go. Now, all of that obviously brings us to Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is walking with his disciples and we get introduced to a man with leprosy. Verse 12 says he was full of leprosy. I don't want to be described by that, like, like, like that. He's full of leprosy. Now, when, when the Bible says leprosy, uh, maybe, maybe you're familiar with the word, maybe you aren't. But the word that the Bible is, the, the word in the Bible that gets translated into leprosy 
could mean a lot of different things. It could mean kind of our modern understanding of, of the disease of, of leprosy, which is obviously very bad. But it doesn't necessarily mean modern leprosy. As it's used throughout the Bible, it can kind of be applied to just sort of general skin diseases and infections. So, you know, regardless of what it means, it's gross and nasty and you don't want it, right? I don't, I don't want leprosy. There's also another interesting thing about the word that gets translated into leprosy for us is that it, it didn't just refer generally to skin diseases, infections, and maybe our concept of leprosy, but it also sort of was a word that, that generally talked about just being unclean, like just being unclean, unable to attend the temple, unable to participate in the religious rituals of the day, unable to engage with the presence of God. So uh, the, the word that, that we translate into leprosy could actually be used for people or things or whatever. It just it has a pretty negative connotation, am I right? Regardless of what it means, you, you don't want leprosy. You don't want that word describing you. But if you think about it, this word that gets translated leprosy is, if that's what it means, it's, it's probably one of the better words out there to describe not just maybe what this man was dealing with, but the general human condition. It addresses a whole lot, a whole host of, of physical conditions that are, that are broken and in need of the life of God, but it can also just sort of address the overall state of brokenness that needs the life of God. So my point is that whatever leprosy in Luke chapter 5 means specifically, whatever it means specifically, we all know leprosy. We know it. Whether we know the modern version of it or not, we all, we all know leprosy because we all live in a broken world. And that's what this word is, is trying to say. That we all live in a broken world and in need of the life of God. Good news about that is, I don't know about you, but I've got a sense of revival. I've got a sense of revival that if we're living in a broken world, then maybe we can see the life of God. This man full of leprosy, we've actually got a lot in common with this guy regardless of our physical condition. Back to this man, specifically here in Luke chapter 5, based on context clues, it seems pretty obvious that he does have some sort of physical disease that has rendered him unclean and left him with very little to no hope of ever being clean again. Again, maybe, maybe not physically, but maybe in some other ways we've all been there before. Verse 12 says he was full of leprosy. And then it says that he fell on his face and begged Jesus. It's in a pretty desperate situation. He sounds pretty desperate to me regardless of what the specifics are of his disease or condition. This guy's having a bad day. Having a bad day in Luke chapter 5. Verse 12 goes on to tell us he comes to Jesus and he begs him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, when we read this, well, I guess I can't say we because I'm not you, but I'm just me. So when I read this story and when I read, uh, when I read the Bible in general, if I'm honest, what I generally picture happening, like if I, you know, use my imagination to imagine the scene that's happening, I think that if I'm honest, what, what I generally picture just right off the bat as I read through the Bible, read this story specifically, I'm probably extremely wrong about what things actually look like. So here's what I mean. Something that, something that I try to do when I read the Bible is, is slow down a little bit and uh, let kind of not just the first thing that goes through my mind be the thing I'm imagining, but, but slow down and imagine what would it really have been like in Luke chapter 5? What would it have 
looked like, use my senses? What would it have uh, smelled like? What would the air taste like? What would it really would have, what would it have been like back then? And in doing that, trying to just understand maybe what, what God's trying to speak. Is that, does that make sense to anybody? Try to use my imagination a little bit. But I might be kind of a, more on the crazy end of the people in, in this room. But when I read over this story, and really when I read over the Gospels in general, my little kind of 2017 American brain generally imagines one of two scenes, one of two things. First thing that I imagine is uh, maybe like a felt board Jesus. Anybody have used the felt board in Sunday school growing up? Any, I, need, I need a show of hands. Who knows what I'm talking about with a felt board? Okay, so about half. So a felt board is like a felt board, and there's felt characters that because it's felt on felt, they stick. And in Sunday school, it was like, there's Jesus, and he's standing there like this, and he's got his disciples, and they're all sitting around him, looking up at him, Amazing, and, and I just, so I, I picture this, this felt board Jesus, and if I'm honest about felt board Jesus, the, the felt board Jesus is, is blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and Swedish, and he has a perfectly bleached white robe with a blue sash and perfect teeth, and he is extremely happy, and he looks great. So, so that's, that's kind of felt board Jesus. That, that's one thing that I kind of generally picture in my mind. The other version that I imagine in my mind, if it's not felt board Jesus, it's like TV miniseries Jesus. Have you ever seen some, some TV miniseries going on? You know, Jesus, he's like sitting on a rock next to the beautiful Sea of Galilee, and it's dusk, and the sun is setting, and it's gleaming beautifully over the water, and his disciples are all sitting there, and they look all serious. And he's got this amazing hair, and the camera swoops down, looking up at his face, and the wind gently gets his hair, and his hair like catches this the last rays of light of the day as it goes and he smolders and he looks off into the distance. This is Jesus. Again, I might be the only one, but those are kind of the things that start going through my head. Not to mention his beard looks amazing. Perfectly trimmed every time. So that's what I picture in my head when I read these stories. That's what, that's what Bible times were like, right? I mean, that's what these stories looked like. But something in me tells me I'm wrong. So what, maybe what did it really look like? What, what would the real scene have looked like here in, in Luke chapter 5? Well, Jesus, he's, he's a, in, in the book of Luke at least, he's a handful of chapters into his public ministry, which he traveled a lot. There were no cars, so he walked a lot. And uh, there was, he didn't really have a place to live. He probably slept outside most days. And he's in Israel, so it's, it's hot. There's a it's kind of the desert all the time. It's sandy. There's no plumbing. There's no showers. Most nights are spent around the campfires, right? So it's a little less glamorous than the TV miniseries version. He walks everywhere, so his robe, I'm sure, is not bleached white, to say the least. I'm sure things are a little bit ruffled, a little bit wrinkly, a little bit messy. And last final detail that I think is, is important is that for the most part, Jesus is just hanging out him and the guys. So I'm going to throw this out there, but if it's just me and the guys, and we're walking around and doing all this stuff, and this is what our life looks like, things like getting my hair done and my beard trimmed are going to fall a little bit farther down the priority list when there's things like food and water and shelter to think about. Does that make sense to anybody? It's a little different than maybe the, the TV miniseries. So that's maybe what the scene 
is looking like more. What else did we learn here in verse 12? There came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down and begged him, Lord, if you will, make me clean. Now again, back to kind of the TV miniseries version of this story has Jesus and his disciples are sitting around on this really cool bench that's like made of stone in the city and everybody's neatly gathered around as Jesus teaches. Everybody's attentive. And then from over here, this guy kind of strolls in and comes down and, and he sort of like, you can tell he shouldn't be there, but like it's not that bad. And he comes in and, and he, the version of fall on his face is like this, you know, and he puts out his hand and in his perfect British accent says, Lord, if you will, make me clean, right? Isn't that how it goes, anybody? So that, that's how it goes in, in, the, in the TV miniseries version. But the real life version would have been a little different. Jesus is, again, he's in one of the cities. He's in a city. There's always crowds following Jesus, so there's probably a crowd around Jesus as he's in the middle of the city. I, I'm, I'm inferring that, but I think that's fair to think that there's probably a lot of people around. And this guy is infected with some sort of disease. He's infected with a disease that has not just made him an outcast religiously, but also socially. Because uh, if he gets too close to anybody else, they'll catch it too. And it, it usually goes in the way that the disease gets on the, the good person, not the good person rubs off on the sick person, right? So he's an outcast religiously, he's an outcast socially, he can't get close to anybody, so they're having this thing going on, which I'm sure wasn't super neat and tidy, but if you read the story, it sounds a lot like he, he busts on the scene, falls on his face, and begs, Lord, if you will, make me clean. He just lays there. And I think this is important. Because I think there's two reasons why this guy comes and falls on his face. One, it sounds like he's pretty desperate, right? He's just desperate. I got nothing. This is like the best I can bring you is right here. Number two is I think that he falls on his face because he can't bear to look around and see how everyone else is looking at him. Ever been in one of those environments? You do something that's a little embarrassing and you just hide your face. And you're like, I'm not here. This isn't happening. And this is like how Rose hides right now. It's like, if I can't see you, you can't see me, right? We've all been there. I think he's hiding his face not just because he's pious or because he knows that that's the formula to get Jesus to give him what he wants. I think he's desperate, and I think he's incredibly ashamed, and know he, is, he knows he is exactly where he ought not to be, doing exactly what he ought not to be doing. He's desperate, he comes, he falls on his face, and he begs. Sick, diseased man that everybody knows should be outside the city is in the city, in front of Jesus, in the dirt, face in the mud, everybody's staring at him, but he's got nowhere else to go. He's got nothing else to lose. It's a, there's no dignity in this. There's no British accent. This is a grade A mess of a situation. And he begs, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
man comes to Jesus and he knows that Jesus, or he needs Jesus to make him clean and he knows that Jesus can do it. But he doesn't know if he will. If you will, you can do it. The man knew that it wasn't a problem for Jesus to make him clean, but he didn't know if he would. My guess is that this is exactly where we all find common ground with the man full of leprosy. Maybe we don't know what it's like to have leprosy, but I wonder if we all know what it's like to have this question. Revival is the life of God in our broken world. In a world full of brokenness, we all have our fair share of it. Physical brokenness, emotional brokenness, mental brokenness, spiritual brokenness, relational brokenness, we all have it. And we all know that God can do what we need him to do. I think we even say things like, I know, I don't know, like, if, I don't know if God could love me. I know we, we, we say things like that, like, I don't know if God could do that. But, but that's not really our question. I don't, I don't think our question is, like, God, are you able to do it? Um, because, like, he's God, right? I mean, if he's God, he, he, can do, he can do it. But our question isn't, about is he actually able to do it? Just like this man. For most of us, our questions aren't about God's ability to do what we need him to do. Our questions are more about if he will do it. God, I know you can, but I don't know if you will. I don't know if he will. I, I know he can, but I don't really even know if he's there sometimes. I don't even know if he cares. I mean, if he cares, he can do it, but I just don't know if he even cares. I know he can, but I don't even know if he's real. We know he can, but we're not quite sure if he will. Jesus stretches out his hand, and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. What's the point in all of this? I don't know if you feel like it, but I feel like I'm all over the place. What's the point of all this if and it? What is that even all about? Real life versus what we imagine, all of that kind of stuff. What's the point? Well, the reason that I need to picture the real life scenario of Luke chapter 5 is because I don't know about you, but I live in real life scenarios. The reason I need to picture the real life scenarios of Luke chapter 5 is because I don't know about you, but I live in real life scenarios. The reason that I need to picture Luke 5 in real life scenarios is because I don't know about you, but I live in real life scenarios. Oh, you guys do too. Okay, good. I live in real life scenarios, and if Jesus came to touch a felt bored world or a TV miniseries version of life, then I don't have a chance. I don't know about you. But if Jesus only touches a world of perfectly shaven British actors who all speak perfectly and they're all fit 
and they act nice, and they smell nice, and they sound nice, then he isn't going to touch me. I mean, I think if we can all be honest about all of this stuff, it, it sort, of, sort of feels like, you know, we're like down here in these seats, right? We're, we're living life over here in these seats. And, you know, we've got our life going on, and we're looking up, up here, and there's like a stage or, or a movie screen, and we're watching life happen. We're watching everything happen. And on the screens, everybody else's lives look awesome. Uh, on the movie screens, on the Instagram screens, or, or on the stage. You know, like we come to a church, and, and the pastors, they've got their, like, sermons and stuff. And everybody's got everything all together. And it's all neat and tidy and clean. And there's, like, a service, and we know how it should all go. And everything happens. But we're wondering, like, what about real life? Like, that's great that it looks like that, or it, it sounds like that. But could he really touch me because it just kind of feels like I'm out here in the cheap seats of life. And that sounds good, but could God really touch me? Could God really touch me? So my question is, what if he didn't come to touch a Hollywood version of the world? What if he did step into the real world? What if he really did step into a world full of brokenness, with real mess, with real stink? What if? Well, if he did step into a real world, then it isn't over. Whatever it is. Here in Luke 5, he jumps off the Broadway stage, right? He jumps out from under the lights and he stretches out his hand with a touch and he reveals to us who he really is and what our God is really like. He introduces us to himself, that he is almighty God trying to show you what he is like, that this is God showing us that no matter whatever it is, you never have to wonder if he can touch you. You never have to wonder if he can touch you. Jesus didn't step into a TV world where everyone is beautiful and well-behaved and it's all fake sweat. He is the life of God. And the reason he stepped into a broken world was because it is his will to stretch out his hand and touch you. And make you clean. Author of the book of Luke that we just read went on to write another book of the Bible called Acts, also known as the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts is a record of what happens when a group of Jesus followers live with a sense of revival. What happens when a group of people have their brokenness touched by God and they begin to stretch out their own hands and touch the brokenness around them. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't go to Bible college. They just knew Jesus. And that in itself equipped them to engage a broken world with the life of God. And if these normal people can be used by God, then maybe that means these normal people can be used by God. Like these ones right here. 
if they could be used by God, maybe we could do it too. Now, when I read the Bible, I don't, I don't believe or, or see any indication that, uh, the, the, that revival, that experiencing the life of God in our broken world is meant to be theoretical or strictly historical. According to the Bible that, that, I, that I read, I don't know about the one that you read, I think ours are similar, but uh, it looks like that if, Jesus, if the Jesus that this Bible talks about is alive, then we ought to live with a sense of revival. We ought to live with a sense of revival because it looks like Jesus didn't come to bring life to a perfect world or a clean world, but it looks like Jesus came to give life to a broken world. And it looks like Jesus is willing to touch you always, regardless of what it is. And because he stretched out his hand to touch us, we are able to stretch out our hands and touch the broken world around us with the life of God. We come to church, we read our Bibles, we worship, we get excited, we spur each other on, we lift up a shout of praise, right? We, we do all of these things, and we even do a series called A Sense of Revival, and we talk about it, we talk about all these things, and there's the lens of revival, and, and whatever, what else we got? We got the scent of revival, and we got the touch of revival, we come and we talk about all these cool church things, but... If we're honest, I wonder how many of us really walk away and have a, have a question about all of this stuff that we're talking about, about all of this stuff. And we have this question about revival, and the question is if it is actually possible. Is it actually possible? Is it actually possible to see the sick healed? To see the lost saved? to see a broken world encounter the life of God. We can talk about it at church, but I wonder if it's really possible. Well, if Jesus is who he says he is, then yes, it is possible. We're gonna close this series and close this message Right now, I want you to go ahead and stand up to your feet. And we're going to worship to another song here in a moment. As we close this message in this series this morning, I want to encourage us to step into belief that it is possible. I want us to step into faith this morning that it is possible. I want us to cry out for a touch of revival in a broken world. And I realize that that's not probably going to be everybody in here. And that's okay. It might be me and one other person, and I'm okay with that too. But this is the will of God, to touch the world with revival. It is the will of God. Man comes to him, falls on his face. If you will, you can touch me. I think it's time for a people to transition out of, well, if it's his will, he could do it, and start moving into, it is his will, so let's do it.
So there's two ways that I want us to respond this morning. You may be here this morning and you may need a touch of revival. You may need a touch of revival for you this morning. I think if that's you, you're in the right place at the right time. And uh, you may need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. You've never had him touch your broken life and give you the life he came to restore to you. You may need a touch of revival in that way. You also may need a touch of revival because there's just some bit of brokenness in your life. You're, you're sick, you've got an injury, you've got a disease, there's something mentally going on, there's something relationally going on. There's just a bit of, maybe we could call it leprosy, that you need Jesus to make clean. There's some sort of struggle, depression, pain, whatever it is, is not of him. And you need a touch of revival this morning. A man who needed a touch of revival here in Luke chapter 5, he ran and fell on his face in the ground in front of a city that despised him. But if you need a touch of, of revival this morning, all I'm asking you to do is come up to the front in a church that loves you. That's it. So if that's you, I want you to come up now. If you need a touch of revival, one way or another, if it's one, is worth it. Amen. Amen. If you need a touch, I want you to come up this morning. All right, so for all of those of you who aren't coming up, then I assume that means you're healthy and you are ready to encounter your broken world with the life of God. We're gonna pray for a touch for these folks and we're gonna pray that you go out and start touching everything around you. So I hope you're ready to get your hands dirty in some leprosy in a broken world because I got a sense of revival. So as we sing this last song, it's a song that we, we like around here. I know we sing it a lot called Spirit Move. We're asking for a move of the Holy Spirit in our city and in our lives and in our time. And I want you to sing this song as a prayer and as an act of faith that God, would you come and would you move in my life? Would you move in every broken situation that I find myself in this week? Would you move in my city this morning? And let's ask for a touch of the Holy Spirit that leaves us to never be the same again. What if we lived with a sense of revival? So are you ready to not just have a nice end of the sermon series song this morning? All right, the three of us who are ready, we're gonna go for it. And the rest of you, it's okay, it's okay, be honest. If that's not where you are, that's okay. But if you are here this morning and you're hungry for a touch, don't be afraid of falling on your face in front of everybody else. Don't be afraid of getting what you need to get to in front of God. And if you're ready to start touching the world, Jesus had 12 out of a nation. So you might be the one here this morning, but God could do something through you. So let's worship this morning. I'm gonna pray for us and believe that the Holy Spirit's gonna touch us with a touch of revival as we sing this morning. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that because of who you are, we can live with a sense of revival. And I ask right now, God, that you would come and you would touch everybody here who needs their brokenness made clean by you. Lord, would you come right now, Holy Spirit? And would you, would you come and move through our lives? Would you move through our brokenness? God, I pray that you would make us a people that are not afraid to come and fall on our face and fall before you and say, God, you will to touch me, so would you touch me? 
And God, I ask that what happens when you touch us would impact everything around us. I pray that we would not just become healed, but we would become healers. That we would walk into our workplaces, our families, relationships, and that we would see your life encounter the brokenness of our world. We need a move of revival, God, and we believe that you are ready to do something in our lives, in our day, in our city that has never been seen before. Lord, like we said this first week, Lord, you, we have seen evangelistic revivals, we've seen healing revivals, but God, we ask for a kingdom revival. Would you touch us with a sense of revival? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together and pray for a move of God.